Hey, it's Greg Grunberg, the great, big, beautiful actor from Star Wars, Star Trek, and geeking out on AMC. Oh, co-author of Dream Jumper. I think I plugged everything. But you are listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... The day I really unfurled it, my brother was playing the like state championship basketball game, and they were down by like ten points. I was five years younger, and uh, and I thought, oh man, this is it. Now's the moment. And I uh, I whipped out this Superman cape and started cheering my heart out. And my brother really never spoke to me again after that point. <laughs> did they win all of though? those years for that moment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, did he win? No, oh. no, of course not. He was totally distracted. <laughs> Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast. Also, you can find us wherever you get podcasts from. That's that's a weird thing to say, but that's where you can get us. <laughs> How's it do- how you doing this week, Jamie? Um, it's getting cold, but I'm all right. Yes, it is getting cold. Now I have we were talking a little bit before we jumped on, but you ever do you ever give your kids like do they ever take things of yours and break them? Does that happen to you, Jamie? Never, right? O- only all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have a pair of these headphones. Like when we're doing podcasting, it's really important to have things that work like headphones because um <laughs> when we do this, if you can hear if I have my speakers turned on, you can hear like a delay and it just sounds ridiculous. So you need a good pair of headphones, and I have that. And we were going somewhere the other day. I forget where it was, the bank or somewhere where I knew we were going to have to wait in the car for like 45 minutes to an hour, and we have a DVD system. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just bring my headphones for my son to use. You know, what could possibly go wrong? So I just Famous plug last in to do words this right there. <laughs> exactly. Like what could go wrong, right? It's in only an hour in the car. So right, right. before we just hooked up to do this intro – I went out to the car, grabbed the headphones out of the jack, brought them in, plugged them in. I can slightly hear audio in one side now, and that's it. <laughs> like, what like, did he did do? Did he just, like, th- throw them out the window and you drove over them in the car? Like, what happened? <laughs> I don't know. Dip them into a, into a drink, maybe? I don't, <laughs> like, I don't even know. I can't believe it. And I'm not mad or anything because like, he's, you know, seven years old, but... Kids do amazing things. I have no idea how they do it. It's like things that I have had since I was a kid, like toys my mom kept, you know, and like she handed off to me like, no, you have kids, you can have them. And these things have, you know, survived like 30 to 35 years of wear and tear and storage. I give it to my kids and like 10 minutes later, it's broken. I have no idea how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> decimated <laughs> not just broken like broken beyond repair yeah. no oh, I, like like i can't glue it like it was it's broken on such an angle that like there's no way glue or something <laughs> is going to hold us back together like it's gone it survived 40 years and now like 10 minutes with you gone oh man 
So question of the week, people, if you have kids or you maybe have nieces or nephews, tell us the, the word, like, tell us a crazy story about what they broke or something that broke that, that you gave it to your kid. Like what could go wrong? And they broke it. I want to hear that. That'd be really funny. Nothing to do with our episode today, but I think it would be funny. No, I would, I would like to hear that also. Cause I have lots of, you know, tearful stories of my own of like some of my favorite toys. It's like, you guys are going to love this, but be careful. Cause these are actually worth money and I could sell them on eBay if I really wanted right. to like later that day crack up uh, daddy. I'm sorry. <sighs> <laughs> You're going to be bad. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I also wanted to shout out to Nick Olson. I think that's how you pronounce your last name. Our Twitter mention of the week, he said he's listening to our show, episode number 157 on Overcast FM app on the iPhone. So that's Yay, pretty cool. Overcast. And he usually does it while working. So hi, Nick. You, he, he says he usually does it while he's working or commuting. So I hope you're getting your work or commute on right now, Nick. Yeah, hope, listen to this. hope the traffic's not too bad. All right. So this week we have a fantastic episode. And this was, you know, kind of, I didn't expect Jamie to come at me and be like, hey, we're going to interview Jason Siegel. <laughs> I, not, I keep you guessing. I don't know why. I keep you guessing. Yeah, he keeps me guessing. And he says it like casually, like, so uh, Jason Siegel on Sunday, you want to do that? <laughs> I'm just like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, he's only, you know, been one of my favorite actors, right, you know, in the last 10 years. So, you know, yeah, no, I, not really. <laughs> it, it was funny because, you know, we've mentioned this before how, you know, we've, we've been slowly bringing on other co hosts for people, you know, if right. other people that we know are like super fans of whoever the guest is going to be, then we'll bring somebody else in. Um, but obviously, I give you first shot at everybody. And when I right. said, you know, hey, um, what, what do you think about Jason Siegel? You want to be on on that? And you were just like, um, yes. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's one of the ones where it's almost like I'm coming back and I'm like, are you like, like, was this, this a joke? Jason Siegel, like the real guy, or is this like an author of an obscure <laughs> book? I don't know. <laughs> well, he is an author, and we'll get to that. But yeah, you were like, is this Jason Siegel, like, is, is, is this like a comedian I don't know about or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, it, is this the How I Met Your Mother guy, or is this just like a same name guy? <laughs> so, Jamie, why don't you tell him about what, you know, what he's here promoting and, you know, what else we talked about in the conversation? So, yeah, a lot of most people probably know Jason Siegel, the actor. Um, you mentioned How I Met Your Mother. Obviously, that was on for, what, 10 years or something? And so he he really, um, facial recognition among most people is probably going to go back to that show. He was also on The Muppets, the reboot. Um, he had a huge role in getting that back, on, back in the theaters. Been in a bunch of movies. I'm not even going to start to go through them all. Um, but since, really since How I Met Your Mother, he's sort of take, taken a step back um from from i guess quote unquote hollywood from the acting scene and and uh being in movies we talk about this a bit but being in movies um that he's not proud of you know we, he's not he mm-hmm. he doesn't name names about which movies he's not proud of but you know just the whole idea of if this isn't you know if if a script isn't something that like 20 years from now he's going to look back on with pride or he's going to want to show kids and be like this I'm proud of this then he just didn't see the point in doing them um and he so he's really stepped back and he's become an author um which was a probably an unexpected turn um mm-hmm. but he's written a number of of um young well they're like uh middle grade readers are about uh nightmares and the newest one is sort of a um 
um, what would you call? It? I guess like it's sort of like a resource book, an associated book. So he wrote this trilogy about um, um, these kids fighting in the nightmare realm, and so this one is everything you need to know about nightmares and how to defeat them. So it's sort of like a book about um, the, the characters and the creatures from that trilogy and sort of bringing them to life, like a field guide kind of thing. Um, and so he's also branched up into YA, and so he had just recently had a book called Otherworld come out. And uh, that's his first uh, real stab at, at YA, at a, at a YA novel. So we talk a lot about his books and that, that um, you know, gear shifting in, in his career. Um, but we do go back and we talk about a lot of the, you know, the films that he did and the roles that he, and he had. Um, and it's just, it was an unexpectedly, um, I don't, I don't want to, you know, saying something is unexpectedly profound means that like you weren't really expecting right. it to be profound. Obviously that's what the word means, but like, I, I don't think that I was expecting to get as deep as we did with him about why he mm -hmm. made this shift in his career. And he, and he's pretty honest about, about why he chooses to do things over other, over other projects. And I, I think that was a little bit, um, surprising to me and how, how forthcoming he was about, um, you know, saying, hey, I've done some things that I probably, if I could go back, I wouldn't do them again. You know, I'm not real proud of that movie or whatever it is, you know, like he was, he's pretty forthcoming. He's pretty honest about it. And that I think was what was surprising for me. And um, it was just, a, it was great to get uh, his perspective on the whole Hollywood scene and, and, and why he needed to step back from it and how he's finding such creative fulfillment in writing these books and getting in, in that different, different medium. Yeah, the, his honesty is definitely refreshing. And, you know, not that nobody else is honest that we've talked to, but when, you know, when you get someone on that has a lot of creative projects, they don't want to necessarily be like, yeah, you know, maybe I wouldn't do, you know what I mean? They don't yeah. want to talk like that about their old stuff. And exactly. You know, he's honest about it. He's a real, you know, he was like, a, he's a real human being. You've you sensed that more with him versus some of the other people we've talked to. You know, that he's just a guy. You know what I mean? He's a yeah, guy that's exactly. very talented. Not just that he's a very talented guy, but that he, you know, and he, he, he can do what he wants creatively. It's great. Yeah. And he was able to not let, well, I mean, from our limited exposure with him, but like, it seems like he was able to not let that whole Hollywood mindset sort of define him. You know, I mean, he was he was really immersed in it. He was on a show, a very successful show for 10 years. He's been on very successful films. He's been nominated for awards. And so I'm sure that, you know, that had an effect, obviously. But he was able to step back and be like and get perspective. And I think that's what a lot of people mm -hmm. aren't able to do. And one thing he was definitely still proud of, the Muppets. So we're going to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. We're going to go talk. To, I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Like, yeah, come on. of course. We're going to go talk to Jason Siegel right now. I hope you enjoy the interview. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's just a just a thrill to have you here. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here, too. Um, I wanted to start off. Please tell me that the Internet is not lying to me. Did you really wear a Superman cape under your clothes until you were 13? Yeah, I did. And my parents would say, why are you wearing that Superman cape? And I would always say, just in case. Yo, yeah, you can <laughs> had, never be too sure. I had No, I, I knew it would come in handy at some point. And then um, the day I really unfurled it, my brother was playing the like state championship basketball game. And they were down by like 10 points. I was five years younger. And uh, 
And I thought, oh man, this is it. Now's the moment. And I, uh, I whipped out this Superman cape and started cheering my heart out. And my brother really never spoke to me again after that point. <laughs> did they win All of though? those years for that moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did he win? No, oh. no, of course not. He was totally distracted. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I just, I love that story. I love, I just love thinking about a kid who has that, you know, is Clark Kent all the time, but you never know when you might need to bust yep. out the superhero. <laughs> they're out there. Believe me, they're, they're all around you as we speak. I know. That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, so you don't really come from an acting family. So I'm, I wonder what kind of support and response you got from your friends and family when you decided to pursue the career. Did you get a lot of support? I did. Yeah. I have the most supportive family you could hope for. My, my, the way I got started was kind of interesting though. It wasn't, um, I didn't have like a moment where I made a decision. I got seen in a high school play. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I grew up in LA, so I was like right in the center of the industry and somebody was thinking of sending their kid to my school and they turned out to be president of casting for one of the studios. <laughs> so it was some real LA stuff, but all of a sudden I was sort of presented with this opportunity and, and I took it and ran with it. And I think a year in to, you know, auditioning, I met Judd and did freaks and geeks. Yeah. Wow. So you obviously came into the public eye as an actor, but have you always been a writer or did the process of writing Nightmares and Otherworld, you know, involve stretching your comfort zone a little bit? Uh, Well, the best advice I ever got was from Judd, who when Freaks and Geeks got canceled and we were all, you know, we were young and a lot of Mm -hmm. us hadn't gone to school, you know, in order to to do the show. Judd took a few of us aside and said, look, the only way you're going to make it is if you write your own material. And he, he mentored us almost like an old time apprenticeship. And a few, you know, a few years later, I wrote Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And, and that's really how the writing started. Yeah. Did that, um, there's a big difference between writing a screenplay and writing a novel. Did you, did you sort of, was there any hesitation in, in making that, that leap or, or did it seem kind of natural based on the experiences that you had writing for films? Well, um, Nightmares started out as a script. It was actually the first script I ever wrote when I was 21, 22 years old. And um, it sat on a shelf uh, at a studio for like seven years. And then um, there's something called turnaround where you have the opportunity to buy it back. Mm -hmm. So um, when it became available, I I bought the script back because I knew that there was something there that I loved. And I decided to turn it into novels. But like you said, it's a totally different medium and I had no idea how to do it. So I got introduced to Kirsten Miller, who's just an amazing uh, book writer. And um, we sort of formed this collaboration and she helped me adapt the script. And we got along so well that we're, we're on our fifth book now. Yeah, that's amazing. I was going to ask how you got hooked up with her originally. Was that was that like a publisher assignment or was that somebody you met through somebody else? We're both at the same agency. And so when I when I told, um, you know, the people who helped me do that kind of stuff that, I needed to find a good partner for this. They said, you know, I think we have the lady and um, we sat down and she had read the script and said, yeah, this, this would make, um, this would make a terrific book. Let's do it. And um, so we did that series. And then when I thought of the idea for other worlds, I went and, and sort of uh, pitched the idea and wrote a little treatment behind her back and uh, was able to approach her and say, listen, this is all set. And I'd be honored if you do this one again with me. And she was, um, she was really into the idea and loved that we were going to be free from the constraints of writing for um, middle grade because yeah. all of a sudden we could swear. Yeah. 
to be to be frank. <laughs> um, <laughs> how, how, I mean, obviously, you're going to say you work together wonderfully, but how do the two of you work together? Are, are there different strengths you each bring? Do you do you try to divide something up? Does she bring something to the table that you don't have? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, when you write a screenplay, all of the um, sort of landscape painting of it is is really a blueprint for filming. So you don't need to make it too ornate. You just need to make it, you know, somewhat descriptive so people know what you're talking about. In a book, you're, I mean, you have to paint that picture beautifully, and, and Kirsten is just amazing at it. Um, and so. You know, I have my strengths are I'm, I'm pretty good at story and I'm pretty good at dialogue and characters. And um, Kirsten's good at all of those things as well. But she's she's particularly good at, at like give, painting the full picture of all this stuff. Yeah. Were you uh, was there a moment, you know, when you sat down to say, OK, I'm going to write a novel. You know, Otherworld is, is a step in a different direction from something that you did with nightmares because it's a young adult. Like you said, you could swear. Yeah. It's a little bit longer. Um, were you intimidated? Like, was there ever a part of you that says, Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, no, yeah. you know, first of all, I have a lot of help. Um, but second of all, I think, you know, I do a lot of different stuff and mm-hmm. it's not that I'm talented at all of those things. I'm, I'm talented at some of them, but, um, one of the things that I've learned in terms of being creative is that what separates people who are walking around from a half finished screenplay or novel versus the people who can hold something that's finished is that you kind of do your best to silence the voice we all have that says, I'm not good enough to do this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what am I thinking? All, we all have those voices. Mm-hmm. This is sort of what nightmares is about. Actually, we all have those voices, but it's, um, it's fighting through them that separates people who do it from those who don't, I think. Yeah. It's not, it's not talent. I think that's a myth. You know, it's really easy to look at somebody who's great at piano, for example, and say, mm-hmm. oh, man, they're so talented. It doesn't really give credit to the fact that, no, they were just willing to sit through the part where they were terrible at piano. Sure. <laughs> so is it is it just persistence or is there I mean, how do you silence those voices? Because everybody's got them. Like you said, everybody's got those voices that say, yeah, there's too, you're never going to succeed at this. Or there's too many other people trying to do this and are, are better at it than you are. How do you how do yeah. you push past that? Well, I've always thought you, you really have two options, right? One is that you spend your life sitting in resentment, like at dinner parties talking about, well, if I had written the Revenant, it would have been this way. <laughs> and I've, I've never found that like, you know, very compelling conversation. So I would rather, I would rather find out, you know, I'd yeah. rather find out if I'm not good at it. Yeah. It's a scary leap to take though, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, for anybody listening, the real the real truth is you don't have to show it to anybody. Yeah, you know yeah. if you if you finish the thing and it's not good, you you never have to show a soul. So it, it really is risk free, except for the time that you put in. But I mean, I find I find the doing of it to be really gratifying. Yeah, um, it's interesting you talk about risk. Um, I think recently your career seems to be full of it. Um, you've taken a series of unexpected turns, at least from those of us on the outside looking in, I'm sure they were not unexpected for you at all. Um, Not only do not many actors make the switch to becoming a novelist or a successful novelist, but not many 
actors who are known for primarily doing comedic roles make that leap to dramatic roles with any sort of real success. Were those choices that you made to challenge yourself creatively or was there something else behind that? Well, um, I think a pretty good working definition of art is performing an act of self-exploration in front of an audience. And, um, you know, I'm at this really interesting intersection of art and commerce. I'm really lucky um, that the Mm -hmm. things that I've done have been successful. But I I did some stuff in my early 20s that, um, you know, people responded to. And so you end up doing a lot of that stuff. Um, You're encouraged to. And, I'm, you know, it was was great. But 10 years later, at around 33 years old, when How I Met Your Mother ended, I finally had a chance to kind of take a breath and do – like an artistic check-in, you know? And I found that what I was thinking about at 33 was not the same stuff that I was thinking about at 24 when I wrote Forgetting Sarah Marshall, you know? And um, I sort of felt like if I I want to stand by the claim that I'm making art, I need to now make an adjustment and do things that are reflective of what I'm thinking about now. Mm-hmm. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting, like, when you put that stuff into the universe conceptually, the script for End of the Tour, where I got to play David Foster Wallace, mm-hmm. came across my desk. And I was instantly terrified. <laughs> All of those voices we were just talking about came flooding in. Yeah. Who do you think you are? You're not capable of doing this. You're going to embarrass not only yourself, but, like, this amazing legacy of David Foster Wallace, Mm -hmm. all those voices. And I thought, you know what, this is a really good reason to do it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) let's let's find, let's find out. Let's not be the guy who talks about how he would punch up Revenant. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're, when you're listening to those voices, is part of the voices, the fans as well. Cause when, you know, they have an expectation is that something that weighs on you at all, or do you just you worry about the art and the fans will just come along type of thing? You know, one of the side effects of social media and all that stuff is now everybody has a voice. You know, at some point, I realize one thing like million Twitter followers, if one percent of those people hate me, yeah. <laughs> that's still a lot of people. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, so I realized you can't really, at this point, you can't really subject yourself to that sort of standard because you're going to lose every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably not mentally healthy just to think that way. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I also think, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm hardwired to think that those voices are the right ones. And everyone else is like friends with my mom or something. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a lot of friends. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, mean, I, I really do think that like when I, when I read something bad, if I let myself, right. I'm, I'm like, Oh no, they know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you hear a lot about imposter syndrome, which is what you're talking about. This fear that no matter how, yeah. how successful you are, that you're just kind of faking it as you go. And what I think is talked about less often is that in a sense, we are all imposters. We are all kind of just making it up as we go. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, that's right. It's, um, 
you know, it, it's it's sort of gaining confidence in this idea. This is um, a spinoff of something David Foster Wallace said, but it's it's starting to gain confidence in the idea that what you are interested in, other people might be interested in too. Right. But you're never going to get a certificate, you know, that says you're right. And, you know, there's a great documentary that I loved called Beauty is Embarrassing. And anyone who's trying to make stuff, I recommend watching it. Um, but there's this notion that, like, there's a little part of you that's embarrassed when you make something because you're walking up to this mountain of great art and saying, can I add mine to the pile? Right. <laughs> and, you know, Leonard Cohen is on there and Rembrandt is on there and Jack Nicholson is on there and Steven Spielberg is on there. And you're, you're walking up with your little thing saying like, hey, can I can I play, too? It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I see that. Um, did did you mentioned the end of the tour and playing David Foster Wallace? Was that a catalyst at all in your own desire to, to put your writing out there into the world? Um, well, what it really was, was a call to action for me to make sure that what you're putting out is vital. Mm-hmm. I, I no longer felt, um, I, I don't know. I just, I no longer felt interested maybe is the right word in doing stuff that I wouldn't watch right, mm-hmm. or read, you know, I, at some point I looked at the movies I was making and realized I was making this for an audience that I was no longer included in. Mm. And I, I wasn't that into it at that point. You, you you kind of can't forget that realization. Yeah, the, the you, you've got to be your own audience first, right? I mean, you've got to you've got to enjoy what you're doing, or what's the point? I think so. What's yeah. the point is a really is a really big question. Yeah, and there are lots of answers to that question. I don't fault anyone who says the point is I'm going to try to make as much money for right. so my kids have a great life. That's a perfectly valid choice. Um, but I was really lucky in my twenties in that I don't really have that as an excuse anymore. Cause I was on a sitcom for a decade. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really feel like I have the luxury of saying I'm making this choice because I need to. Yeah. That's a lie at this point, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Now, it, it's refreshing to hear because you don't often hear that many people say that or take that position. They just get, they either get in a rut or they just, you know, it's, they do what's comfortable. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, it's, I I don't know. You know, at some point I was like, okay, if I'm lucky, I have 50 more years of doing this, you know, in my early thirties. I'm like, I have a, I have a lot of time left to do this and I'm, I need to keep myself interested. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the books a little bit. You said the, the last month, I think, um, the new handbook for the nightmare series came out, but do you have any plans yeah. to, to return to that world or is it just going to stay a trilogy for now? Um, well, I conceived it as a, as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it, mm-hmm. I wrote it as a script. Um, if, if I were to return to it, I think that I would probably adapt it. The TV has become really interesting now too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at some point I could, I could readapt it. I could, I could flip it back, but I have a hunch I would do that with other world first. Okay. 
were were nightmares an issue you had when you were a kid? Was that something that came from yeah, someplace personal? Yeah, I had. Um, have you heard of night terrors? Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, I had really bad night terrors until um, until I was like 12, 13 years old, where oh. my parents like couldn't wait from these nightmares. So I'd be screaming and yelling, and I'd attack my mom, and my mom would take on, and my brain would make her a witch. And so that's that's literally where nightmares came from. Wow. I mean, all of that stuff is really like based on what, you know, Charlie and Jack is an Iron Man costume. Yeah. That's a thinly veiled, thinly veiled me. <laughs> did did writing that help you sort of come to terms with those experiences or, or had you already sort of come to peace with, you know, those the, the night terrors yeah, that you I, had? I think that the, the night, even the night terrors I look back at now is like my brain uh, really drifting towards imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't quite like learned to chill out about it, but uh, yeah, I, I saw it actually. The first writing book I ever read was called The Writer's Journey by a guy called Christopher Vogler, mm-hmm. which is basically just um, a writing handbook based on the hero's journey by mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um and I thought, like, you know, all of these tales sort of begin with a portal into another world. Mm-hmm. And when I heard of dreams or that, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll try this. Um, I'll try the using dreams. And other world, we kind of use the same formula, um, but it's virtual reality that takes us into the mythical world. Yeah. Did, did writing nightmares give you the confidence to write Otherworld? Like to say, like, hey, I could take on a, a bigger story and more words. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I was really taken, I don't know if confidence is the right word. Mm-hmm. I, I became really interested in this idea that books are a collaboration between the writer and the reader. Mm-hmm. You know, when you make a movie or a TV show, you're told uh, you tell the audience to sit down and receive your right. your piece, you know. But when you read a book, which I think is really cool, the writers do half the work and then the reader is doing the other half the work. Like they're imagining right. what you've written. And so I would go talk to these kids, you know, because I would do these book tours or I would go speak at schools. And you start to see like, oh, every one of these kids is imagining it differently. Yeah. There is no like one version of a Nightmares book. It's it's unique to everyone who read it. And that that idea kind of like conceptually blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. How um, how much of Otherworld is is based in this real fear that uh, in, in the direction that we're heading sort of as a society? Yeah, and it's entirely. It's a hundred percent that. Um, <laughs> I tried the Oculus Rift at uh, Sundance Film Festival when I was doing it at the tour, mm-hmm. and um, the one, the 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 demo that got me most. So they take you through all these different demos, and then right. I and I tried some more on my own later, and I was amazed at the ones where you can go to a museum that you you know, would never ordinarily get the chance to see. And I was amazed at the ones where you're fighting robots. The one that really scared me was the Netflix app <laughs> uh, for virtual reality. <laughs> have you guys, have you I, guys tried it? I didn't even no. know there was one for VR. No. 
Okay, so let me describe it to you because <laughs> maybe you'll see what I mean. Okay. Um, basically, the Netflix app for VR is just the most beautiful living room you've ever seen. <laughs> and in front of you in this VR environment is the biggest flat screen TV you've ever seen. And it plays Netflix for you. Yeah. So you can watch your Netflix content in the most beautiful living room you've ever seen. And obviously that seems sort of, you know, innocuous, but what I thought was, Oh, if you like this living room better than your living room, yeah. why would you ever leave? Right. And oh. that was sort of the start of it for me. I, I, you know, you're always going to know if you're fighting dragons. Right. Yeah. Just a wow. beautiful house. Yeah. I don't know why you're going to leave. And that was sort of where the idea started. Like, oh, you could use this to sedate an entire population because on these beautiful houses. But if you if you see it on like close CCTV, it's just someone sitting in a weird, dingy apartment with a visor on. <laughs> <laughs> you've right oh my god i never thought about that because you're right if you're fighting dragons or zombies you know mm. when once you take off the headset you could be disappointed that you're not in the game fighting the dragons and zombies but you're not going to become like disillusioned with your reality like like you're saying you're not going to be like That's oh right. man my living room sucks like i can't afford a better tv so i'm just going to strap on the headset and disappear for a while yeah that's right like you know you can see Already, already, you're kind of. This is some real David Foster Wallace stuff. Yeah, you predicted this real, <laughs> really early, but you're already being sedated. You're, you know, there's right. no other um, context in which binge is used positively. Right. But you're being told to like binge watch a show. You know, just like sit down and watch, and you're being provided these images, as, as he said, by people who don't love you. You know, but want your money. Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> It would be a really easy thing to do to tell people like, here, strap this on. We'll take care of the rest. Trust me, you want this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, aside from what you said earlier, you know, the ability to, to use bad words. I mean, was that what sort of led to the switch over, switch up, I guess, to say to YA? Like this ability to tell these more meaningful stories or to, to make these comment this commentary? Yeah, well, you're dealing with um, slightly less sophisticated. Well, sophisticated isn't the right word. I, I don't know. You, at a certain age, you sort of have not a care in the world. You know, you're fighting witches or something like that. As you get older, you start to, um, you know, you get into romantic love and you get into hating your parents and mm-hmm. um, being disillusioned, you know, Holden Caulfield kind of stuff, being disillusioned yeah. with the world and all that. And, I, I was interested in exploring that stuff. Yeah. Do you think, do you think sorry, go ahead, Justin. <laughs> so do you think your writing experiences now are, are having the opposite effect in informing your acting versus acting to the writing? Are you seeing a different side to your work than you did in the past? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, what I've been doing lately is surrounding myself with people who are better than me at everything I'm trying to do trying to do and really picking their brains about how they make their choices and why they're doing this stuff. And, uh, it definitely has impacted 
it definitely has impacted everything I do. I, there's a friend of mine who I really admire. Every time I ask him a creative decision, he always starts with, don't forget, this is your life. Yeah. Hmm. When you hold your decisions to that standard, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's, it's a really great jumping off place to think, all right, I only have X number of these projects. Mm-hmm. Why this one, you know? Yeah. Great. Are, are you interested in going back to write screenplays again, or is all of your writing energy going into books for right now? And I've actually just, I, I've just written, um, I've just written a TV show that I'm uh, hoping to make next year where I would, um, I would do all the different jobs. I want to try to challenge myself in that way. So uh, if I can, if I can get it going, I would, um, I would write, write it and act in it and direct it. uh, So that's, that seems to be heading, heading in a good direction. Yeah. Is that, is that important to you? You know, the ability to have creative control over the projects you work on, you're not just acting in somebody else's story and just, you know, being a player, but that you can actually control it and, and, be able to have more input. I, I like both. Um, end of the tour, I, I was just an actor, and mm-hmm. it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, there is also an amazing alchemy to thinking of an idea on your couch, and then mm-hmm. two, three years later, seeing it on a screen. Yeah, I mean that is modern day magic to me. Like, I, I, I can't believe it when it happens. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Muppets was the ultimate of that for me. For oh, okay. Marshall, I was just like so. Um, I, I I was just really overwhelmed throughout the whole process, of, like surprised and yeah. all that. But Muppets, which was a much more like deliberate labor. Um, mm-hmm. At some point at the premiere, I was sitting there, and there were kids everywhere, and the Muppets were back on the big screen, and I I mean, I was like, oh man. Look what I, I did. Freaking did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be such a sense of accomplishment. You just sit there and you'd be like, this, this was a few years ago. This was just a dream. And, and look at it now. Yeah. Because it was, it was the first thing that I wrote after forgetting Sarah Marshall. And so the expectation was that I would write another raunchy R rated comedy. Yeah. Um, and everyone thought I was kind of crazy when I said, no, the next thing I want to do is to write the Muppets movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was just a, it was nobody knew what to make of it. Some people thought I was doing it ironically. Um, yeah. I think, including the Muppets at first, they were like, "Oh no, this is going to be sort of like we're going to be made fun of." Yeah. And then at some point, like at some point, they realized, "Oh, this guy is like weirdly loves us." <laughs> yeah, yeah w- weird. I don't know how weird it is. Everybody loves the Muppets. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, you have said in the past that you are not a fan of social media and uh, I guess the fiction that people build up around their lives online. Do you still feel that way? Because I know that writers sort of in this in 2017 have to engage with people online in order to promote their books. Yeah, I, I just think you have to be... Um careful of where you let your your own mind go you know i have a lot of friends who uh wonder why they feel less than mm-hmm. inside to other people's outsides mm-hmm. you know what they're showing on instagram and what they're tweeting that's not how they 
feel. That's not a real accurate representation. So don't um, don't hold yourself to the standard that you're supposed to feel this this fake way, you know. Yeah. Um, last question, and then we'll. It's let not you... all like perfectly staged photos of eggs Benedict. <laughs> Although that is a very large part of it. <laughs> I know. I mean, like I, I get it, but that's not my life's not like that. It's normally some like hastily scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> uh last question and then uh i know because we re- we've run out of time with you i'll let you go but um are there what are the moments of your career that make you cringe and then the flip side of that is what would make your own personal highlight reel oh that's a great question um you know funny enough i have some things that like i've done that i didn't work and those those can make me cringe but the the real truth is um, a lot of the places where those two questions overlap is what's really interesting to me. Huh. Like me singing Lady L uh, on Freaks and Geeks yeah. makes me cringe <laughs> and would be on my highlight reel. Um, <laughs> the, nude scene from <laughs> the nude scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall yeah. definitely makes me cringe yeah. and also would be first thing on my highlight reel. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's, there's actually probably some magic in the Venn diagram of those two questions. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a deeper conversation that we don't have time for, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Jason, thank you so much for your time. This has just been amazing. Oh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It must be a fantastic spot to be in um, creatively to be able to just now you can pick what you want to work on. And he kind of went into that in the interview. He, you know, and something that I talked about, his honesty was refreshing where he was just like, you know, I was on a top rated sitcom for 10 years. So obviously mm-hmm. money is not like a motivating factor for things anymore. You know what I mean? I, I thought it was awesome that he was, you know, he was upfront about that. Like, I'm not doing this for money anymore. You know, I was on a top sitcom. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need the money. And right. it must be a great place to be in for him though. Now he can kind of comb through what's he, what he wants to do. If, if he wants to take a year off and go start a YouTube channel, he can do that. He doesn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to rely on his creative pursuits, yeah. you know, just to, to pay the bills. Right. You know, which That's is kind of, yeah, I think real work, maybe not, not always, but it, it feels like real work can start to, you know, what is deep inside you can start to come out at that point. If you're not yeah. relying on it to, yeah. You know what I mean? You don't you don't have that temptation to be like, well, maybe I should take this. I do need a little bit of cash. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it is it is a privileged position. You know, not every actor is able to yeah. do that. Not every actor gets a decade on a top rated sitcom and, you know, walks away a, a superstar, you know, and is and is able to either take a pick of take the pick of scripts that come his way or say, you know what, I'm going to move to Montana and become a rancher or whatever, you know, like not everybody gets, <laughs> gets to have that kind of freedom. So for him to be very cognizant of it, to, to really aware, be aware of it and, um, and be appreciative of it, I think is also, um, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's impressive. It's impressive. 
It is. Uh, it was such a fun interview. I think it'll go down as one of my favorites. You say that every week. I'll have to week. listen to it again and make sure. I'll have to listen to it again to just to make sure in the car. I'll listen to it. Okay. And also okay. this week, not that this will matter to anybody except from Jamie, really, and me. Well, but yes. this is our last week recording on my old internet. <laughs> so we're no... Like right now when Jamie and I talk to each other, I'm not kidding. There's probably a three, four second delay. So, so the editing that has to happen is ridiculous. And... My internet's bad. So this is it. So this is our party. I'm Jason Siegel interview. I'm just so excited. Occasion to party. I'm so excited. <laughs> like it'll be it, like you guys, you have no idea how painful this is to do these recordings. So when we, <laughs> again, here's a little peek behind the curtain. When we talk to interviewees, like when we actually do the interviews, we cannot use Justin's internet because it would delay everything. No. So it's, I, we're all like funneled through my computer and my internet, which is fine. So it's no problem. <laughs> But when we do these intros and outros, it goes through Justin's. Don't ask why, please, because that's just how we do it. But it's awful. It's like there's a four second delay. And I'm sure Justin does an amazing job editing. Um, but I'm sure I know there are times when, you know, you just can't. And it's like you say something and then there's like a three second awkward pause. And then I say something like I'm funny. And then there's another three second pause. It's it's just terrible. So it will be so nice when we finally get this cleared yeah. up. <laughs> And in, in when we interviewed Ann Wheaton, just to quickly, she, we, I kept talking over her like every time it was because of the delay and I kept coming in. She was like, oh, so we're just going to, and she commented about it. She was like, oh, so we're just going to keep going back and forth like this. Huh? <laughs> like she was like joking about it. And I was just like, it's my internet. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. So yes, this will be so nice to finally get that taken care of. So yay, Canada, Woo-hoo. getting some fast internet. Exactly. And do you know what that means for you, the listener? Jamie and I have been floating this around and maybe in the new year we're going to see. We're maybe talking about doing a live YouTube show or something or I don't know. We'll see. Live podcast. I don't know. We'll see. I think at the very least we're going to get we're going to get the back catalog up on YouTube, which is something that we said we're going to do for a long time. So that's that's on Justin. That's in his court. And once the Internet speeds up for him, we'll get that taken care of. And then we'll go from there. Zero. No excuses. Yeah, zero excuses now. <laughs> yeah, but a live show is something I think we want to do. We've talked about it a few times, right? And that'll be fun. Yeah. And yeah, we'll definitely be posting those YouTube uh, the episodes over the next few weeks. I'll probably I don't want to overwhelm everybody, so I'll probably release two to three a week on the channel. But look for that at our YouTube channel. Just search the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast. I am Justin at one forty Justin C. I am Jamie at The Roarbots. And we'll see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.